brace yourself because you're about to dive into another free first hour episode of the Higher Side Chats. And we just want to let you know that whether you're looking for a companion through your paranoid insomnia, entertaining yourself through one of life's mundane activities, or trying to ward off the internal screams of all those sad, smothered souls around the office, THC is here. And you should know that every episode of the Higher Side Chats has an entire second hour for Plus members. Sign up at thehiresidechatsplus.com and you'll get years of Plus show archives, lifetime forum access, a special invite to Greg Carlwood's monthly joint sessions, MP3s of THC music, bonus episodes, tour videos, and 10% off t-shirts, grinders, and whatever else ends up in the Higher Side store. It's $8 a month that you won't miss. So become a Plus member and treat yourself in these troubled times. Always action-packed and commercial-free, which means you'll unfortunately never hear my voice again. In the 1930s, President Franklin Delano Roosevelt addressed the nation through a series of radio broadcasts known as the Fireside Chats. His aim was to reassure the common man that our society would recover from its troubled times. Well, we're far from 1930, and I deal with a different kind of fire. For a new era of worldly frustration, we offer a fresh conversation. I'm Greg Carlwood, and these are the Higher Side Chats. Hallelujah, and hello, Higher Side Chatters. From sunny San Diego, I'm Greg Carlwood, and it's no surprise to anyone that the influence of Hollywood is strangely potent. Whether crafting our mental image of historic events, our perceptions of geopolitical warfare, or just generally tugging on our most basic impulses and emotions, it seems that the occupation of the imagination is a key control mechanism in the full-spectrum dominance agenda of the nefarious few. And when one digs deeper into the cinematic apparatus, you find the deck thoroughly stacked with military intelligence families, CIA-groomed celebrities, and a network of schools, studios, and secret cabals crafting all the big offerings of the media machine. It's a tangled web of 8mm magic and mind control with many threads worthy of exploration, and few dot connectors do the deed as well as today's guest, Tiffany Fitzhenry. If you're unfamiliar with Tiffany, she's done a lot of writing and producing, but is most well-known as the author of the best-selling trilogy, The Oldest Soul, whose success started her off on a path most creative artists only dream of garnering attention from some of the biggest producers and networks in the game. But the Hollywood dream quickly became a nightmare as she learned about the dark underbelly of it all and turned Hollywood whistleblower and independent researcher of that curious crossroads between propaganda and art, entertainment and elite agendas, and her ongoing exposure can be found on her website tiffanyfitzhenry.com. I know I'm psyched to get into it, the entertainment industry exposer and the Babylonian system bulldozer, the one and only Tiffany Fitzhenry. Welcome to the higher side. Hi, thanks for having me. You got it. You got it. I think this is going to be a lot of fun. It's a really important show to do. It's easy to kind of get sucked into allowing all of our spare time to be taken up with entertainment. Mm -hmm. And by exposing the agendas behind our entertainment options and the culture of abuse within Hollywood, it becomes easier to kind of disconnect from it, I think. And of course, your bio suggests that you know this stuff a little bit from the inside. You're more than just an armchair internet researcher. And maybe we can start there. I understand you're working on a documentary, Living the Dream, which is going to detail your Hollywood experience. But give us a taste of what it was like and what it was that woke you up to the fact that maybe this isn't really what you wanted. 
it's weird. It's all very seductive at that level. So when you have properties that these high level people want and you have these people coming at you, it's very seductive. It's what you would think it would be. You're going into these big, beautiful agencies. Everybody's beautiful. Everything is fabulous. They're bringing you lattes exactly as you want them. You know what I mean? It's all like this. Oh, you're to be worshiped. We all love your script. We all read it. You're genius, blah, blah, blah. It's like this seduction scene. It's meant to appeal to the ego. It's meant to appeal to the sort of almost satanic in a way that is like self-worship, right? They start getting you into this like self-worship. And I noticed that right away just because I'm sort of a thinker and I'm sort of a person who just, I'm not necessarily wired that way. So it was odd to me and awkward. And then right away, you start to see the dynamic of what Hollywood is. At that echelon, you really see it really clearly. And the writers and the people who create the content, we serve at the behest of a system. It's not about, okay, great, you've got a great script, we love it, let's make it. It's, are you willing to come into this system and are you willing to allow your talents and gifts to be used to feed the eye? And they're telling you this in not subtle ways. I mean, in ways that are basically overt. And it's, being told by your agents and your managers that you need to be willing to do anything. You're told that from the moment, from the moment you get, most people will never get, right? You get to the place where you're in CAA, you're in William Morris, you're in these agencies, you're at the top echelon, you're meeting with Disney, you're going to Sony, the Marvel people are landing on the roof. It's crazy town USA. And then at the same time, you're being told you need to be willing to do anything. And you're like, okay, well, calm down. I thought we were just going to make a movie. Like it's very odd to the person who just is not socialized that way. You know, to the person who's just thought that Hollywood was what we're all told it is, which is, hey, you make something great, you know, or you follow the yellow brick road. And it really is not that at all. It's, are you willing to serve this system? So for me, starting in 2012, I noticed right away these things. And I lived in Atlanta at the time and Atlanta was starting to burgeon as a hub. And I, I didn't want to relocate my family, but TV was what I was known for writing different TV series pilots. And they were like, you have to move, you have to move, you have to move. And I was like, well, listen, I'll be here as much as possible. I will get an apartment here. I'll be here all the time. I'm not going to relocate my family. My kids go to a great public school. I can afford to live in Georgia. Do you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Like, I'm not, you know, but don't worry, that won't be a problem for you. But it was, it was a problem for them because they need to have you 24 seven. They need to have you under their thumb. That was just one little thing where it started. And I didn't think it was a big deal. And then it just went from there and went from there and went from there in terms of this is about, like you said, full spectrum, full dominance control. They control the content creators because they control the content because the content controls you. Mm -hmm. And the veil being pulled back on all of this was it took from 2012 to about 2017 for me to fully see the picture of what this was. And it took being fully Weinsteined and being from the moment I was having these meetings and having projects at a very high level and having these high reps, it was being completely hounded for nudes all the time. So it's like you look at this picture that just came out of this congresswoman, right? You have to understand all these people in powerful positions, whether they're screenwriters whose names you know, or whether they're congresswomen, they're owned. They're literally owned so that they do what they're being told to do. They write what they're told to write. They vote how they're told to vote. Or 
this kind of stuff happens. Those nudes that I would have sent, which I didn't send, those would have leaked. And it would have been, oh, she got hacked. But to you, to the writer, to the person, to the influencer, it's a warning. Step back over here. Mm -hmm. It's so basic. These are intelligence tactics. It's not complicated. But I think it's shocking for people to understand that it's going on in every place in our society. It's going on for screenwriters. It's going on for directors. In Hollywood, it's going on for everybody above the line. I don't know if your audience know what that means, that comment, above the line. Uh, maybe not. Probably not everybody. Let us know. Well, so in Hollywood, there's a line that basically it stems from the budget. You've got everything that's above the line and everything that's below the line. And most of what it takes to make a movie from a technical standpoint is all below the line. You've got the grips, you've got the sound, you've got the stunts, you've got the effects, you've got the hair, the makeup. These people are all, according to the budget, they're all below the line. Then you've got above the line, which is your actors, your writers, your producers, and your directors. And even when you walk into these agencies, when you walk into CAA, and when you walk into William Morris, if you're above the line, you literally go upstairs. If you're below the line, you literally go downstairs. It is a theme in Hollywood that is completely permeated through the culture of Hollywood. It is idea of above the line and below the line. And what the line really demarcates is influence. Anyone above the line, you know, you're going to know their name. They're going to be able to tell you who to vote for. You know the name of Steven Spielberg. You don't know the name of the best sound engineer in the world. You don't know his name. You don't know the name of the best stuntman in the world. You don't know his name. The guy inside the Batman suit, you don't know his name. But he can't tell you who to vote for. So they don't care about owning that guy. But everyone who's above the line, these are people whose names you know. These are people who have influence and people who can tell people who to vote for. So this is where that compromise, the control, as soon as you start giving them stuff on you, you start ascending in power. And if you don't give them anything on you and you don't let them compromise you, you're just not going to ascend. It's not a matter of talent. It's a matter of having enough talent and being willing to do anything and being willing to be compromised. It's those two things. Mm -hmm. And people do not know that. People don't understand that. Right, right. That is a really good breakdown. And you're right. There's just no influence. They're not going to give you any audience without some kind of compromising material. They're not going to take the chance. And you mentioned nudes and hacking. And I do remember that iCloud hack. And there was that one image of the girl from the Hunger Games. And in her picture, she was wearing these long velvet gloves and holding wine and she was topless. And I was just like, this isn't an image that someone sends their boyfriend. This looks like uh, an eyes wide shut party or something. It looked quite strange. And Again, just not surprised. I mean, we've been digesting this stuff for a long time, but it is interesting to hear from someone who's got a taste of it personally. Yeah, it's funny that we didn't know for so long what we were looking at, but now it's so obvious. It's almost embarrassing that we didn't really... And listen, I was on the inside of it and they were trying to compromise me and I still didn't know what was going on. It was, what's going on with this project? I've got Monica Potter attached to produce and star in it okay, great. I've got this network who's interested. She's on the top NBC show at the time, Parenthood. She wants to do my show next. Great. All great. Okay. What's going on with this project? What's going on? It would stall. It would stall. It would stall. And at the same time, I was being asked to send nudes, which I wasn't doing. I was like, go pound salt. I guess my agents are just 
gross. I guess they're just unprofessional. Like I just chalked it up to, I didn't put the two things together that I wasn't doing this part of it so that that project wasn't going forward. And then when I figured all this out after my fifth big project, after being Weinsteined, after all this stuff, you start to figure out, Oh my God, I'm going to have to sell my soul. Okay. Wow. Well, I have a decision to make. I know I'm not going to sell my soul. So what am I going to do? And that's when I decided, I was like, you know what? I'm just going to go tell everybody what I figured out, (laughs) you know? Right. Right. And you wrote about your conversations with this model, Anna Lucia Alves. Mm -hmm. And uh, I thought that was really telling. She mentions that at a certain level, you do meet a new group of people and you have to appease them or everything dries up, just like you're saying. She mentions bee bookings, which sounds like prostitution for the elite. Mm -hmm. And when she talks about handlers, just to quote her directly, she says, handlers are real. I can guarantee this because I had one. In fact, I had two of them. The second one of mine was a pedophile. Being a handler is very solid business. It is a multi-billion dollar per year business. This is no joke. They use drugs and psychological manipulation. My handler spoke five languages. He immediately understood that I missed my father. Within 10 to 12 days, he was in my life completely. He took my money. He was deciding what I was doing and where I was going. Mm. And that is wild stuff. We hear these stories about handlers and you know, who could be whose handler. And it's very provocative, but to get that confirmation, it's just another notch in the belt of uh, kind of trying to expose this stuff. Her story is so important. It's another one of, so, you know, we have to have these people who've been on the inside who are brave enough to come out and say, look, this is someone who's been on the cover of Vogue. This is someone who's posed with Johnny Depp. She knows these celebrities. She's been at these tables. She's been in these rooms like I have. And at some point, we all have to figure out and be brave enough and figure out a way to tell the world, yes, this is how it works. And one of the things I found so compelling, I just love Anna so much. One of the things I found so compelling about her story was, and her and I have been talking for, I would say about six months or a year. She contacted me almost immediately after I spoke out and told me so many things. And we just bonded right away over having all these shared experiences. And It wasn't until somewhat recently that she told me about being propositioned by the politician because I was asking her, what is Naomi Campbell? I don't understand. Why is Epstein associated with Victoria's Secrets and these modeling agencies? I don't because she's a model. You know, tell me. I don't understand. And she's like, well, I mean, maybe it has to do with, you know, I was propositioned to become a madam. And I was like, wait, hold on. Back up. (laughs) What what happened? (laughs) And she tells me this. And she's like, these things just go on. This is what goes on. But I'm like. This is so important for the record, for the masses, for the people who don't know. And we look around and we see Heidi Klum and we see her on this show. And we see her being elevated and we see Obama getting this $90 million, you know, Netflix deal, this and the other thing. But what we don't know, we don't know what we're looking at. We don't know what they've done to get those things. Mm-hmm. And what she's telling me is that, yeah, I mean, there's a system by which you're elevated. You know, it's like you think back to George Clooney. I did a deep dive on George Clooney. And one of the first things he was doing when he was on Roseanne, he was leaving pictures of his man parts around. Mm. (laughs) I mean, it's like he knew, all right, I got to start banking things. You bank powerful people have to have things on you. And as soon as they do, they'll start to elevate you. 
nothing's real. Mm -hmm. Nothing's real. These aren't the smartest people in the room. They're not the most talented. They don't have the best things to say. It's that they can be controlled by the people who want to control your mind. That's it. That's it. Well said. And something else I wanted to get into was this guy from Nickelodeon, because this was really the catalyst that brought me to your work. I had a couple of conversations with previous guests and a couple of listeners about some of the system's sacrificial lambs lately, like Jeffrey Epstein or Harvey Weinstein. And several people had mentioned to me that if they had to guess, it's this Nickelodeon guy, Dan Schneider, who is probably going to be next. And of course, I go to do some reading about Dan and I quickly find your piece. Dan Snyder is deleting thousands of creepy old tweets, which is something we've seen other people do too in a sort of damage control preemptive way. I think James Gunn would fit that bill. But can you tell the audience about Dan? And if they're not familiar with him, what's so creepy about the guy? Well, first you have Geraldine Laybourne, who founded Nickelodeon, her and her husband Kit, co-founded Oxygen Network with Oprah, is also on the Jeffrey Epstein flight manifest in the black book on the plane. So you've got proven, convicted, international child sex trafficker, level three sex offender, child molester flying around with the woman who founded the network Nickelodeon, which is all children's stuff. She is the one who hired Dan Schneider originally all those years ago. And he's been making kids shows very successfully for 20 years, but there have been rumors for 20 years, very persistent rumors and a lot of dicey things that have happened around those rumors, people disappearing, you know, Things that you could look back and say, well, there was an effort to cover up what was going on. And a lot of kids who worked with him have gone crazy, like Amanda Bynes. The rumors of his abuse of these children have been just persistent. And so one thing that we do know is, you know, look at Ariana Grande, right? She can send a tweet of a smiley face, right? And it gets a million freaking retweets, right? Mm-hmm. So that level of influence, she does not own any bit of her own influence. That person is an absolute and complete puppet. She's a slave. Hmm. She's an absolute and other slave. And so when you want to create, when you're going to elevate somebody, it's like a business investment for these people. They need to know that they own them completely, right? So the way to break the mind of a child, the way to create a mind control slave is to fracture the mind of a child. And if you fracture the mind of a child through sexual abuse, you know, in order to cope with that abuse that's going on, the child dissociates. They literally leave their body because children are not sexual beings. So they're being completely put outside themselves. This is not what should be happening to a child. So that's how you fracture the mind. And once you fracture the mind, you create multiple personalities. And that's why so many of these celebrities have multiple personalities and they have alter egos and they have all this stuff. And you know, Nicki Minaj famously has 31 different personalities that she names. And it's not a joke. Mm-hmm. It's not a joke. We just think it's a joke or we just think it's marketing or we just think it's whatever. This is real. And so someone like Ariana Grande, who's been working with Dan Schneider since she was very young, goes through the ranks and you can look at her and you can see if you know enough about these types of programming that are used in order to control people. If you know enough about beta sex kitten programming, Mm -hmm. this stuff has been studied 
for 50 years. In our country, quite openly, if you research and find the documents, all of the MKUltra programming, the way in which you know military intelligence, as you mentioned before, the way in which you create a mind control slave, that's what we're looking at. And so you have people like Dan Schneider, you know, people wonder like, well, why are there so many pedophiles in Hollywood? How come Brian Peck continues to work? How come James Gunn continues to work? How come Brian Singer continues to work? How come Dan Schneider, there's been rumors about him for 20 years. How come Harvey Weinstein's in Hollywood for 30 years? Hmm. And it is an open secret that he's a rapist. How come Bill Cosby, there's 50 accusers. So what we have to reconcile with is that we're not looking at one sick individual. We're looking at a system. And so when you look at someone like Dan Schneider, he was there very much by design, very much by design mm -hmm. to groom these children, to identify the ones that could be groomed, elevate them, put them through the paces, get them groomed by the right people. And by groomed, I mean tortured, sexualized, like Bella Thorne came out and said. Hmm. You know, I happen to know someone who was on set with Bella Thorne and she was in that show with her who hasn't come out and spoken out yet, but may at one point who said, everybody knew, everybody knew there was this older, creepy guy was not her family member who was with her constantly. He never left her side. She was anorexically thin, literally anorexic at this stage in her life. She was falling asleep on set all the time because she was being tortured all night and being molested and being groomed. Hmm. It's a wonder that someone like her has the wherewithal that she does and she's at where she's at and she's, you know, trying to build what she's trying to build on her own. And I know people are critical, like she just directed a porn movie. Of course she did. <laughs> of course she did. She's a victim of child sex abuse. She doesn't know what she doesn't know. She's 20 years old. Do you know what I mean? People just really have to give these people grace, I think, and just understand that you probably weren't systematically sexually abused from the time you were six. You don't know what that is all about. And I don't know. Right. And I think we all have to admit that. But someone like Dan Schneider is there by design. Mm -hmm. Brian Singer, there by design. It's sick. It is. It is. And uh, some other things I learned about Dan from your post is just he is probably the most prolific writer, creator, producer of Nickelodeon kids shows. He's got a lot of stuff under his belt. Most of it past my time, but Zoe 101, Drake and Josh, iCarly, The Amanda Show, Keenan and Kel. I mean, this guy has been their, uh, their number one showmaker for a long time. And you mentioned that in these tweets he's deleted, it seems like the Internet sleuths who are trying to follow this have tracked over 13,000 tweets removed, anything that mentions children, toes, or feet, because apparently he has a strange foot thing. And that's interesting because the only two Nickelodeon logos I've ever really known is one is a foot, and then the other one is slime. And Nickelodeon's all about slime and kids, and you don't have to stretch too far to see how that could be considered a sexual thing in itself. Yeah. I never even thought about that. It's so strange, isn't it? When you really start to know all of this stuff, you look at everything differently. Mm -hmm. Waking up is awful, isn't it? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It's the worst. We thought we had this one world and we have this whole other world, actually. Right. Indeed. And to give people just one 
alleged tweet from 2010 because, you know, I don't know. This is all just stuff I see on a computer screen. But apparently he tweeted, filming Victorious, editing iCarly, drinking Diet Dr. Pepper, looking at lotion bottle, contemplating moisturizing my hands. Which is right on that line. I mean, it's past the line. I mean, it's clearly a creepy comment. You're editing a kid's show talking about lotion, just, you know, and there might be 13,000 other examples along those lines. Yeah. And I think, too, there was always a lot of signaling. So the masses who have been asleep, that would be us, didn't know what we were looking at. And so it was just great for these people. So someone like him, We think he's powerful, right? No, he works for powerful people. Mm -hmm. These powerful, powerful people, they own all of these powerful people that we see. Barack Obama, Robert De Niro. We think that these are the powerful people. No, no, no. You know what I mean? So like people like Dan Schneider, people like James Gunn, all of them, really, they do and say things in order to signal to these more powerful people that they're on this side, that they're on the side that I wasn't willing to put myself on, right? right? Mm -hmm. I'm compromised. I'm compromisable. I'm playing your game. And these people, they have a penchant for pedophilia. And they know that the more that you glorify that horrifying demonic behavior, the more that you're putting yourself on their side. So I think a lot of these tweets are signals. I know at least with, you know, the tweets that came out about a year ago that were Ian Michael Black and Patton Oswald and James Gunn, these tweets were inexplicable. You couldn't actually explain them as a joke or anything. I mean, they were just bizarre talking about doing sex acts with children. So it's either the person is actually doing them or they're signaling, you know, they're sending messages to arguably, you know, more powerful people who this is their currency. Yes, indeed. And I was also intrigued by this post that you wrote called Who is Really Behind the Leaving Neverland Michael Jackson Documentary? Because there is always a deeper reason for why something appears in the culture and the timing of it. And when it comes to this Leaving Neverland documentary, what was suspicious about its cultural relevance and its timing? here's the thing about the Michael Jackson thing. The moment you say one word about Michael Jackson, there are two camps out there that are very rabid. Either he's a pedophile or he's absolutely not a pedophile. I don't have a pony in that race. I don't know. I wasn't there. I haven't done the type of research that other people have done into the fact of was he a pedophile or was he not? So that to me is not the point at all of this story. The point of this story is it was very bizarre to me that right at the height of when a lot of this stuff with Harvey Weinstein was reaching, definitely reaching a point where some of it was, I believe, getting out of their control. I think that they definitely sacrificed him by design. That is pretty much unanimously believed when you've got people like Angelina Jolie, who is so clearly part of the system, speaking out against him and saying, it's like, okay, this is part of the show. All right. But what was so significant was we had just seen Oprah. Well, the John of God story had just broken pretty quickly right around the time when this documentary just came out of nowhere. So someone was about to put a documentary about Harvey Weinstein into, I believe, Sundance. 
And I don't know if that documentary was not an approved part of this sacrifice, not an approved part of this Harvey Weinstein orchestrated sacrifice. And it was absolutely out of nowhere with like one day to the deadline, this Leaving Neverland documentary came to Sundance. And then all of a sudden you have Oprah on David Geffen's yacht for her 65th birthday. And she's talking about, oh, we're watching this. That's not exactly like something that's just weird. It just got my attention, right? And all at the same time, you had the John of God story sort of breaking wide open. That journalist who broke that story took her own life, 35 years old, mother of three, okay? Just a lot of strange things converging all at once made me think. And we're not 100% sure that Oprah was involved with the documentary, but there's a lot of speculation that Oprah, Gail King, Harvey Levin of TMZ, and also David Geffen were involved in some capacity in the either making of or distributing of and the timing of the documentary. And it looks fishy. It looks weird. It looks like Michael Jackson is the big distraction that you roll out to sort of suck all the oxygen out of the room and make everyone look over here. And I don't think these powerful people care one way or another as long as we're not looking at what they don't want us looking at. As long as we're looking at something else, I don't think they care particularly about, you know, it's just we're all fighting. He is a pedophile. He isn't. Blah, blah. They don't care. That's fine by them. Let's fight. Let them fight. Da, da, da. Let them dig into that argument. That's irrelevant. All that they care about is that we're not looking at endless war, you know, sovereignty, our own powerlessness in this elite system. Like they don't want us looking at any of those things. So as long as we're looking at something else, you know. Right, right. Like you say in the piece, it's like we had this R. Kelly interview come out and this Leaving Neverland documentary. And it is strange. A bunch of billionaires are on a yacht for Oprah's birthday and they decide to sit down and watch this documentary. I think that's kind of stupid. You know. Yeah, it doesn't add up. And I pulled this from it. You did mention John Agat a couple times and we've heard a little bit about that story. But to quote this piece, you say... At the time, we were finding out that a man who Oprah launched to megastardom was literally farming babies through the sex slavery of very young girls and selling infants around the world to the highest bidder. And wow, I knew it was bad, but I didn't know it was that extreme. Oh, yeah. This was the journalism that came out of a woman named Sabrina Bittencourt. And there is another article on my website. It's pretty far back. It's called Her Name Was Sabrina Bittencourt. You can just Google that. And it's about her uncovering and reporting the story. And if you would have sneezed, you'd have missed it. Her death, her uncovering the story, everything. It was like a microsecond back last spring. But it was so significant. And it was so important. Because you have down at this farm in Brazil, or this compound, which was also actually just a baby farm. You, know, you have people like Bill Clinton was down there. You have Naomi Campbell was down there. You have Oprah was down there. You have Marina Abramovich was down there filming a documentary of her own. So my question is, could you be at a compound where baby farming was going on and child sex slavery was going on and not know it? Mm. I don't think so. I don't think I could be in a place and that going on and bells and whistles not be going off in my head about things I was seeing. I don't think any human who's an adult who has any brains in their head at all could be in a place where those things were going on and not know it. Yeah, I agree with you. 
And I just wanted to mention uh, with Marina Abramovic, who you said was there and filmed a documentary at John of God's compound in Brazil in 2016. I mean, obviously her name has a lot of weight to it, especially in terms of the occult and magic. And I'm just curious how much weight you put on the idea that a lot of this is spiritual in nature, that there is a deep and serious occult aspect to all of this. And that isn't just arbitrary. It's not just blackmail. It's actually uh, on a deeper level, something profound and kind of based in their belief system. Oh, they absolutely believe in the spiritual realm so much more than we would ever. We who believe in God and we who believe in good. We don't want to believe that the people who believe in a different God or who worship Lucifer or whatever, we don't want to believe that they actually believe in the spiritual realm because we want to have that for ourselves. Like that belongs to us. Oh, no, 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 no. I would say their beliefs are even more intense because they go to, you know, when's the last time you did rituals, right? Mm -hmm. When's the last time you went to the trouble of lining up different aspects and astrological things and numbers and no, because you've got God on your side. You don't need to do spells. Do you know what I mean? It's like we're pulling from the power of the actual power of the universe. But you need to do spells when you're trying to conjure up power outside of God, right? And these people believe and they work at and they have a very strong spiritual side of all of this. They want your soul. They want that energy because they're not drawing from the source, which is God. So they need your soul. They need your mind. They need your life force. And they need that from the screenwriter, the director, the, you know, these people, not for nothing, but selling your soul, it is all very spiritual. Mm -hmm. If you think it's just about the concept of selling your soul, and then all of a sudden, you know, if I would have done the things that were asked of me, I would be a different human. I would be a different incarnation of myself at this point than I am now. Mm -hmm. I would be hollowed out as a human being and plugged into this matrix and just basically like an IV instead of, you know, the other direction, just just siphoning off me. Absolutely. And another little case I wanted to ask you about is you covered this rapper prodigy a while back. Apparently he went to jail on a weapons charge. He might've gone to jail because it was clear he was uncomfortable with some stuff that was going on. He died in jail over a strange choking incident. Like it's kind of vague. And people say he was killed because of his admiration for this Dr. York spiritualist guy. And he was trying to raise some awareness around him. I don't know. He apparently wrote a letter in jail, which you reproduced. It was hard for me to get it all because it's uh, a handwritten note and seems like it was written in a bit of a hurry. But what can you tell us about this prodigy situation? Really, he just started to get woke. <laughs> and he came along at a time when it was absolutely not safe at all to speak out. And I think, too, if you've got a platform that they've given you and you've been elevated in a way that they've elevated you, so say, you know, you're prodigy and you've been able to put out a couple of albums within this system and, you know, you've had a level of success. You don't get woke. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. I think once people start to realize that, you know, there's always these levels. You know, you look at someone like Drake, and he's a far cry now from where he was 10 years ago. Just look at LeBron James. Two years ago, 
now he's got a deal in Hollywood. He's got a production company. He's got all these things. You know, someone like Prodigy was being shown along the way. Okay, now do this. Okay, now do this. Oh, you want a sneaker deal? Okay. All right. What, you want a perfume line? Okay, hold on. You know what I mean? You want to be, you know, a real player? And at some point, people either finally figure out, like I did, I did not realize that there was a club I wasn't joining. I did not even realize that. And I think that people realize it at some point, or maybe there is something finally that they're not willing to do, and they start to really understand what they've been doing. I think that's probably the case with him. And then he went down the rabbit hole. Because Mm -hmm. a lot of people do not know what they are a part of. I will say that with absolute certainty. You know, it's like you look at someone like a lot of people talk about Chrissy Teigen right now because she's, you know, saying crazy things on Twitter. She's interacting with people who seem to start to know that this dark stuff's going on in Hollywood. And people like her, I can't really speak to her specifically because I don't know. If I were to guess, I would say that she's been groomed for a very long time and she's a part of things. But a lot of people don't know what they're a part of really, truly what it actually is that these people are actually sacrificing children, that these people are actually real vampires. A lot of people don't get shown that eyes wide shut world at all ever or right away or for a very long time. And, you know, it's like we lose these celebrities like Robin Williams and, you know, all of this stuff. And it's like, you have to wonder what did they figure out? What did they know? What were they living with? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And in the case of Prodigy, it sounds a little bit like the Nipsey Hussle situation who was shot in broad daylight and killed. He was making a documentary about another doctor named Dr. Sebi who claimed he successfully cured AIDS by prescribing a strict vegan diet and cut out alcohol, sugar, and iodized salt. And that would help the body regenerate and heal itself. And I just thought there was a real parallel here between two rappers who found alternative healers and spiritualists and were like, oh, my God, this guy could disrupt the whole medical system. And that's, you know, a topic we've covered around here a lot is just how terrible Big Pharma really is and how it has suppressed many, many cures and Really, our body has the power to do a lot of the things that petrochemicals try to do. And it's just interesting because I don't know much about this Dr. Sebi guy, but, you know, you try to use your platform for good. You try to elevate something that upsets the apple cart. And of course, they just take it away. Mm. I think pharmaceuticals are a huge part. I know pharmaceuticals are a huge part of what's being used to generate sort of MK Ultra on an individual basis. These celebrities are kept drugged. That's been coming out more and more increasingly. And then as a society, we're being kept drugged. And I think if you go back to even just Bill Cosby, you know, the fact that he was drugging people, but go back even further. He was naval intelligence. He was at Bethesda Hospital in Quantico, whatever, Virginia. He was in Argentina where all the experiments of MK Ultra drug were going on. And so was he experimenting on people? Was he, you know, from the 60s, he was basically in Hollywood with no acting experience whatsoever. He's brought in from the military to do a show called I Spy in 1968. And it was about the CIA. And it was the first show 
CIA was involved in the making of it. It was like the first show that really presented the CIA in this charming sort of light. And mm. what is all that? And then he goes on to be drugging and raping women for the next 30 years. That's just not what it was very closely associated with Hugh Hefner, mm. you know, who was basically also a Hollywood handler. Yeah. Also associated with the CIA. So you go, what the heck are we looking at? And when you talk about the pharmaceutical industry, I think it's been, you know, since the 40s and the 50s and LSD and all of these different experiments and all of the different ways in which they have figured out chemically how to mind control people. We're there. Mm -hmm. We've arrived. Mm -hmm. Where either all our celebrities, also us as a society as a whole, are being absolutely zombified, mummified, mind controlled. I think it's just so important to be pure of all chemicals and to not take the bait of, oh, you have depression. Oh, you have anxiety. You know what I mean? It's like, no, you're plugged into a matrix that sucks your lifeblood out of you. So probably <laughs> yes. happening. Yes. Well said. And I wanted to also ask you about the good club. I mean, we've seen these sort of think tanks and consortiums and cabals before, CFR, the Bilderbergs, but this is a new one. To quote your tweet, you had said, back in May, Bill Gates, George Soros, Warren Buffett, Oprah Winfrey, David Rockefeller, and Ted Turner anointed themselves the good club. You know how Google said, don't be evil, and then turned out to be totally diabolically evil? This is like that. And that's well put, but what else can you tell us about this group and what they're up to? What agendas did they sort of uh, come together around? What's crazy is that their first meeting was 2009. The first meeting of this good club was actually 10 years ago. And their agendas are basically everything. And George Soros as well. Did, did you mention him too? Mm -hmm. Yeah everything we're seeing playing out right now, I mean, I don't know where your audience is in terms of where they think we're at at this moment, but you guys, we're all here <laughs> for the big show. Like we're here for the big show and we've reached that moment. I believe where you've got these very powerful people who are working for the other side and they're putting their best foot forward in terms of exacting an agenda of, control to get us into a complete dystopia because what's happening is our consciousness is rising and consciousness only works one way. It doesn't go down. You know how you can't not know something you now know, <laughs> right? So basically consciousness only rises. So from 5 billion years ago when the first, you know, amoeba was on the planet to now the consciousness of the planet has only been rising and rising and rising and rising conscious awareness, right? we're getting more intelligent. People don't really believe that because we don't look very intelligent a lot of the time. But in terms of our conscious awareness, it's rising. And so in order to control us, you have to keep us under an illusion because we're not supposed to be controlled. We're sovereign. We're born sovereign and we're all born equal. But in order to keep a matrix, in order to keep a prison pyramid where, you know, in order to have cattle and a few at the top, right? You have to lie to us. You have to have all of these elaborate systems to keep everybody herded in. And what's happening is they've just been devising 
more and more and more and more ways to keep us in this system. But at the same time, our consciousness is rising. So we've reached this point right now. And this is what I think the good club is really all about. It's really about at the 11th hour that we're in right now, keeping us in this system is becoming more and more difficult because we're having this point, we're reaching this inflection point where we can see it all now and the illusion is wearing off and the lie is wearing off. So how do you keep it going? So these people, like what George Soros is doing, they're all doing different things, but they're all working together to the same end, right? Bill Gates is doing it with vaccines and they're all working to the same end. And it's not to save the planet. It's to save the planet for the elites, you know, mm-hmm. it's to keep this system in place where Obama can get a $90 million Netflix deal and keep control of the minds of Americans because that's what really matters. And everything that we're looking at is so extreme at this point. And it's so funny because what we're looking at is what it's always been all along. But now we're seeing it like eyes wide open and we're seeing it in the most obvious kind of way is how it's being shown to us. Or maybe we're just more awake, but everything looks like what it really is. Mm-hmm. Yes, I get that. And you asked like where our audience is. And of course, everybody's an individual. I'm sure not everybody is on the exact same page when they're analyzing this stuff. But on your website, I like your optimism. You use a lot of terms like elite apocalypse, the house of cards is falling, the illusion is wearing off. And I'm a bit more cynical. Maybe a layer of this stuff is being wiped out. Maybe a few blackmail networks are exposed. But I've just been digesting this material too long. And this idea that things are about to change, this has been in the culture for a long time. And I worry that just because people know doesn't mean people do anything about it. I used to call it the educational circle jerk. We're sitting around talking about this stuff again and again. And it's like it's disconnected because that never seems to translate into things actually happening. I mean, once blackmail and compromising people is discovered as a tool, how do you ever get people to stop using it? I mean, I want to be optimistic too. How do I get there? (laughs) I just write what I feel. And in terms of that optimism, I feel that there is just over the last two years, I would say, an awakening that's been much more mass in scope. But I will agree with you when I say Americans are the single most brainwashed people on the planet. More money and resources go into controlling the minds and uh, frankly, abusing the minds of Americans than anything else on earth. The mind of an American is the most expensive real estate on the planet. Hmm. And we don't realize that. And we don't realize that, you know, if you take a visual of the whole world and the way that this fallen world runs above it would be a giant brain and the cabal would be plugged into that brain. And that brain symbolizes America, the American mind. It all rises and falls on that one thing, the global war, everything. It all comes down to the mind of Americans. It just does. And that's why Hollywood exists. That's why our news is the way it is. And that's why we're kept in this illusion that we have this freedom and we have all this stuff. 
And what I do see is I don't think it's perfect by any stretch. I don't think the wheels are about to come off. I think we're in a long process. But what I do see is a ton of awakening. And I also try to put out what I want to happen. And so I speak to, you know, Bill Gates is over. You know, I tweeted that this week. Because you know what? I decided it's true that Bill Gates is finished. (laughs) And he decided things and he wants to put them out there. But you know what? The things I decide, I'm going to put out there too. Yeah. We have to start to understand that we have the power. We've always been shaping this reality. They've just been telling us what to shape. So I like to try to shape the reality that I want us to shape and inspire others to do the same because we're so disempowered and we've felt so disempowered for so long. Like something's got to happen, like something this, something that. Well, like, what are you doing? Because I'm trying to build a counter Hollywood outside the system so that you have content that is not being controlled by compromised people and is not part of a machine narrative of the cabal. What are you doing? You know what I mean? To people who, you know, it's like, I think that if we want to build a different world, we can just get up and build it. And we wait for so long because we're so conditioned to having kings and to having a dynamic where we're disempowered. And that's true. But if we don't want that anymore, we just have to declare it and we just have to start building what we do want. So to me, that's where my optimism comes from. It comes from a place of knowing we can just build what we want. And I'm just going to build a world where everybody gets it and we all build something new. You know what Mm -hmm. I mean? Yeah. I mean, cheers to that. The power of manifestation is something we've talked about a lot. There's a lot of data and science that shows that it is a real phenomenon. So you might as well lean into that. You might as well just put that out there because they're putting out, like you say, the reality they want. The whole point of Disney, which is basically just the one movie studio at this point with every franchise in the book, their whole origins was about magic and wishing upon a star and and all that kind of stuff, and the imagination. And what did they do over the course of their entire catalog is captured the imagination. They've steered it into fictions, just steered it into wherever they want it to go, and all that mental real estate is occupied by the Lion King and Pinocchio, and we really just are not utilizing it the way we should. Yeah, exactly. I believe this is how the universe works. You know, it's like take the Ellen thing, for example, right? So I wrote this takedown of Ellen. I didn't decide, okay, I'm going to go do this. And it was literally because Andy Lassner and Jake Tapper were like tag teaming me on Twitter for talking about Ellen's associations with the government. And I was like, okay, brother, game on. And so laid it all out, basically just annihilated them in a way that was crickets afterwards and millions and millions of people read this blog to the point where Andy Lassner, her executive producer, cannot tweet to this day every single comment in his tweet thread, right? Like people just going nuts saying, here's a State Department document that shows that Ellen is willing to use her platform to advance foreign policy of the US government, literally just trolling him with declassified documents. Then when the George Bush thing came, right? Then she's at the game with George Bush. There was this massive reaction. And a lot of it was people knew exactly what they were looking at. Part in part because of that article, in part because of that research that I put together that nobody had seen before, all put together in one place. 
They knew that those two people were the same thing. They're just puppets of the cabal. They look different. They have different roles that they play or whatever. They're the exact same thing. To the point where they had me on RT, Global News Network, to talk about my research after the Bush, the football game where they were seen together. So I said to my husband, I was like, babe, I feel like we really have the power to change the timeline. I feel like we all as humans, we have the power to change and shape the timeline. We do have a lot more power than we think. And we are changing the consciousness and we have the power to do that and shaping what the future is going to look like. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Absolutely. And this has been really interesting. I learned a little bit. I mean, obviously there are details. We learn more all the time. Even if we have a pretty good handle on the big picture, there are little things that I definitely didn't know that I know now. And it's always good to remind people about this stuff. And as we're wrapping it up, what are some of your overall goals with the work you do outside of just exposing the nastiness of the big machine? You mentioned a counter Hollywood. I mean, that's an ambitious goal, but is this where your work is going? Yeah, this is the any fruits that come from any of my work are going into being able to build outside the approved system in as much of a meaningful way as ever been done before. So yes, I'm trying to build a movie studio. I'm trying to build a streaming app and I'm trying to produce a whole slate of projects and I'm taking meetings with investors and people. I mean, there's so much that I'm doing outside of the content that I put out because for me, step one is to educate the masses, but step two is to do what I do, but to do it for the people, not for the machine. Mm -hmm to do it, to feed humanity, not feed the eye. So step two is basically be able to produce not only my stuff, but other people's stuff in a really meaningful and high level way outside the system to present an alternative. That is, these people are not being mind controlled. These people are not being mass controlled. The content is not filled with agendas. Like this is just art for art's sake. This is God talking. This is what artists want to put out. It's kind of like how SoundCloud was when it first came out. You know what I mean? A new way to liberate storytelling. So for me, the goal is to be able to build something that can rival Sony, something that can rival Netflix, something that can rival these big companies to really present people with a meaningful alternative that mm. says, you know, we're not trying to build you know some strictly faith-based thing, but this is going to be content that's going to be not destructive to society. <laughs> <I'll say. laughs> it's a noble goal and it's difficult to build that without those deep state dollars, but I do wish you well. I know you got a lot of projects in the works. One that seems to be, I guess, out is called Day 8. Maybe you could tell us what message and storytelling that is about and how it might be a good example of countering the Hollywood bullshit. So Day 8 is not out yet. Day 8 we made a short film proof of concept and that short film proof of concept has gone on to win a bunch of awards as a short film. This has just been in the last few months. So I have a lot of people around me in Atlanta where I live who are people who are like-minded to me, who want to build meaningfully outside this system, really talented people, the best people in the world, particularly, especially to the best below the line people in the world who are you know, working with me one day and then going and working on the Marvel set the next day. So this is, these are the people that 
want to build something new and they still have to feed their families. But what they really want to do is do stuff outside the system. So day eight came about because a friend of mine who's an actor and I wrote this script and we just finished writing the feature script this summer and we're looking to raise about $10 million to make it into a feature, but we have the short film proof of concept. And so that is what people are looking at when they see that. And it's about marriage. It's a funny, there's not one bad word in it, right? It's a movie that the whole family can watch. It's about a couple who they come home from their honeymoon and the whole thing takes place on, you know, the eighth day that they're married, the day they come home from their honeymoon and, you know, sort of like everything that can go wrong does. It's kind of like the hangover in a way where things get crazy, you know, but it's comedy and it's very life affirming about marriage. And part of our motivation is millennials have such a sort of despondent view about marriage because we don't have any good examples in culture. And I happen to have a really wonderful marriage. And my friend, um, Yusuf, who I co-wrote this with, he's been married 10 years and loves his wife and loves his kids. And we just want to put that out there. Our experiences go into the writing a lot. And so it's about that. It's life affirming. It's funny. It's kind of movies that Hollywood's not making. Right on. Very cool. And uh, I guess what else should we tell people about supporting your work, checking out more of it, following along the website, social media, all that good stuff. Yeah, the website is sort of like the catch all place where you can find everything that I'm doing there. You can link to I have merchandise, which everything I'm doing, I have a Patreon and I have merchandise. And these things are to help me build, like you said, without these deep state dollars, I don't know how you take on Netflix, right? So there's so much to be built. And so if people really are energized by and want to help what I'm doing. The very best way to help is to support on Patreon or to support me through my merchandise. And so I make these cool sweatshirts and t-shirts and stuff that say like conspiracy theorists are sexy and like, you know, just fun things. Hollywood is canceled and stuff like that. But really just in order to help me produce content to do what I did with day eight. I mean, we spent about $10,000 making day eight to get to the point where we could start to get investors, you know, so it all, I mean, this is not money I have to spend. So you just have to start putting your money where your mouth is, but any help that I can get from people in order to build, that's, you know, so, so appreciated. So I have a Patreon that you can get to for my website, the website, I put out blogs about one or two a week. And then I have a YouTube channel where I'll put out these interviews that we've talked about, you know, one or two videos a week, sometimes more. And I believe that's about it. Twitter's kind of like where I put everything just on Twitter. Right on. Yeah. And as you mentioned, the cost of producing some of these features, even just a small short, it's always shocking to me that you get into the millions of dollars so quickly. I mean, it's probably no accident. That is a barrier of entry all its own that helps keep things in line. Yep. But <laughs> this has been awesome. It has been a real pleasure. Keep being that light in the darkness. Best of luck out there and take care. Thank you. Thanks so much. It was great talking to you. Back with a Diamond Dallas Page style bang, people. <laughs> and I'm glad the timing worked out as it did because we definitely want to keep revisiting the dark underbelly of Hollywood as long as it still has legs out there. And of course, even when it doesn't. But surprisingly, a lot of people are still talking about it. And I don't want to get overly hopeful because I'm so often disappointed when I start thinking that way. 
But Tiffany does seem pretty convinced that change is afoot. And I don't want to be critical of hope because there is so little of it out there anymore. But in my experience, there's a process to this sort of material where you dig into it and the blinders start to come off for you personally at a really breakneck pace. And then you get all this energy welling up. And then you think, well, if I'm waking up, then everyone must be waking up. And because I'm outraged, everyone must be outraged. And clearly the people are going to demand justice and then we'll win. And I absolutely went through that process myself. In terms of specific events, it was clearly 9-11. But then I learned how long these sorts of things have been going on and how rare justice really is and how little importance my awakening is in the grand scheme of things. I also overestimated how open other people would be to this information. A lot of them just shut down. And as long as people are doing that, I don't know that we'll reach the critical mass that we need to reach. I would love to be wrong. I'm open to being wrong. But if I had to bet the farm, I think the odds are against any sort of real upheaval. But look, Tiffany also makes a great point about manifestation and speaking to the reality that you want to step into. So maybe I'm working against myself if I want to see change, but I just don't believe it will come to fruition. I guess you gotta believe to achieve, you know? Because from the elite perspective, what is the difference between ignorance and apathy? Is there one? I'm not so sure. So I guess it comes back to a question that we've pondered before. What is the goal here? Maybe it is to rally enough troops to topple the capstone cabal. Maybe that's what it is. Or maybe the point is to just understand the raw and dirty truth about how the world really works so that you can adjust your own course and navigate the vast conspiracy with a better map and compass. One that isn't coated in the slimy residue of the persistent illusion. I would love to see both, but don't think that the only value is on the big, epic, macro game. There is value in your personal micro changes that will result from getting your nose rubbed in the dirty, smelly, uncomfortable truth of it all, too. So like all knowledge, I guess, use it or lose it and think creatively about how to do that. But we recorded this episode right before I left town for a family wedding, and I pushed it to the front of the schedule because it is so timely and relevant. And I'm very thankful Tiffany was willing to do THC, and I hope we all got some value out of it. This show also struck a chord with me when Tiffany was talking about working with The Hollywood Machine. I don't discuss it a lot, but I've had several meetings with several production companies in the past couple of years, maybe a dozen or so. Some have gone further than others, and I learned that a lot of these people are just low-level employees who are milking me for ideas, so I've learned to be a little less talkative. The furthest any of this stuff has gone would be a culture. You might have even seen the pilot reel for the A Culture show that is up on my YouTube channel. But as an entertainment junkie and someone who runs a semi-popular podcast, it's sort of fun to start taking these sorts of calls and meetings. It's a little exciting. But I've always been very careful, 
and I've dropped some of these projects because the contracts I've been asked to sign are way too aggressive. Some have even mentioned that they want a cut of plus memberships because obviously they're going to blow it up if they put me on TV and all that. Others have said that I need to ask permission before doing any guest spots or even have my guests run by their team. Obviously, that kind of stuff isn't going to work, but my attitude in engaging with these conversations has been that as long as THC is protected and it doesn't interfere with me doing the podcast, sure, I'll try TV, I guess. I look at it as free advertising, as long as I can wear maybe a higher side shirt and get people back to the podcast, right? But the phrase Tiffany used was, you have properties that they want. And I have seen how quickly these negotiations can turn to be more about weaseling into what I've already built rather than trying to build something new together because they see some talent or whatever. And I think I'm done at this point because you're spending a lot of hours and energy. You got to have lawyers look at these contracts. That's expensive. And I don't really want to do it anymore. I got to film a little trailer for a show and it was fun, but I honestly don't need it. And I think I'm past it all. You know the old phrase of they need you more than you need them. I get why in a pre-internet world, a struggling actor or comic would sign these shitty one-sided deals because they have nothing. But to come at me with that same energy doesn't work because I'm not desperate for anything. Anyway, I just thought this episode was an appropriate time to talk about some of those interactions a bit. Although I've never been invited to the parties or asked for nudes, but I've definitely been presented with contracts that if I didn't read them, or if I just got too excited and signed them, I'd have been really screwed. Luckily, I'm just a bit smarter than that. But I do get the sense that even people in the conspiracy realm, when they get that call... They do want a taste of the forbidden fruit. I think that's why a lot of hosts aren't too critical of the To The Stars Academy or any of this disclosure rollout, because they want to be involved. They hope to get the big guests and get the big scoop, even if they know in their heart of hearts that it's not really genuine. It seems like when push comes to shove, some of them just want to be in the big club. I'm not going to name any names, but you can figure it out. And the only reason I don't have to care, the only reason I can talk so high and mighty about this stuff is because of the Plus members. So I really have to thank you guys for granting me the privilege of being independent and not having to engage with any of this stuff for my own success. It's why we do it this way. It is why we have no food box or underwear subscription sponsors, and I appreciate that you trust me enough to stay out of the muck especially with the turbulent summer we've had with the infrastructure. A lot of you guys have been with me long enough to know that the standard is that everything runs smoothly, and we had a little bump in the road with the transition, but I've gotten so many messages that have lowered my stress level because they've said things like, look, man, I've been listening to you for years. Everything has been so smooth and easy. I get that you made a transition, and I'm sticking with you through it. And that does mean a lot. And to get the business side of this out of the way, in the extended plus show, like all the episodes here, we have an extra hour of content for you today. With Tiffany, we talked about the important role of late night hosts and comics like Ellen. I talk a lot about the 
positive aspects of comedy and how it does unlock some truths, but there's also a negative side and how the machine uses comics and comedy. We talked about Tiffany's conversations with Roseanne, the content of the Obama Netflix deal, new files and information on the Epstein network, more about George Clooney's background and childhood, and China's influence on our entertainment industry, which has been in the news quite a bit lately. But to get back to privacy and THC, when I was out of town for my brother-in-law's wedding last week, some idiot hacker got into my Twitter account and sent a bunch of messages trying to start shit with Joe Rogan and announced that I was quitting the show. And then they tried to close my Twitter down entirely. Luckily, I got it back, but I was still flooded with messages from people who thought I would actually quit THC and that I would announce such a thing on Twitter. No, that's never going to happen. This is my job. I put all my eggs in this one basket, and I'm riding this digital horse into life's last sunset. I'd quit Twitter before I quit THC, and I'm surprised how many people fell for it. I'm disappointed, to be honest. I thought you knew me better. But luckily, I got a lot of support out there, not only other podcasters who are quick to ask me what was going on and then get the message out that everything was fine and would be brought back, but I also have listeners who are quite talented in the digital space, and some people have gathered all the info they can about the location of that sign-in, and I'm not that concerned on if they can find the person or not. But when you mess with public figures, they do actually have some pretty useful resources sometime. And their passionate, talented fans will want to help. So I'm just going to do my thing and let them do theirs. And I don't want this story to take up any more time than it has to because these people get off on the impact they make. But it's just another reason why I need to share even less about my personal life and what I'm doing. Because almost every time I go out of town, something happens. And I'm just going to be quiet. It doesn't add value to the show to tell you that I'm going to a wedding in Florida, so I'll just keep all that to myself from now on. And I'm sure you can understand why. But that said, great show. Lots of useful info. Great guest who's passionate about her subject matter and has even released a ton of great stuff just since we've recorded. I'm also happy to see the Epstein didn't kill himself meme getting as popular as it is. It's like the new Rick roll. You think you're reading a recipe for pumpkin pie and bam, there it is. I'm actually proud of the internet on this one. So keep it up, guys. And with that, I'm getting out of here. I've done my part. Your move, pedo wood perpetrators, sellers of false streams and blood-sucking leeches of the entertainment world. Your fucking move. You know the plan has always been to hack your brain. MKO just trying to drive you insane. They'll explode your heart if they think that's what it takes. You think I'm answering the phone? Well, I ain't. You gotta keep the curtains drawn, cause you don't want anyone thinking you're at home. Well, you're not. You should tape the mail slot. And baby, if I seem withdrawn, let me say it's cause I just don't wanna go and get whacked. Maybe you should know that the trauma affects you like it does everyone. 
It's just a game plan, it's what the world's become They want a pat down and a swap Don't you see what's going on? Well now you know You're better keeping on your own Cause you can see the masters lie too much Oh baby, you can only trust yourself And if you think the system's out of touch It is and you can only trust yourself I hope you know the elite aren't your friends They'll suck out everything from you in the end And if for some reason you think I might be wrong I wonder where you got that opinion from You gotta keep the curtains drawn Cause you don't want anyone thinking you're at home Well, you're not You should tape the mail slot And baby, if I seem withdrawn Let me say it's cause I just don't wanna go and get whacked Maybe you should know that The trauma affects you like it does everyone It's just the game plan, it's what the world's become Trust your 